All right, what is going on, everybody? It is episode number 13 already of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. I am your host, Victor Orellana, or however you want to say it. We are honored to have a special guest this time around. We are doing another In the Bivouac, and this time around it is with none other than Alex Martins of Rally Pan Am and Conflict Motorsports. So, been trying for a couple of weeks to get this one going. I know I've been teasing about it for a little bit, but a lot of great information. Alex obviously been busy working on some new suspension stuff coming up, so absolutely stoked to hear a little bit more about what he's got going on. I'm waiting to go actually out into Texas and actually get some stuff done. So, this should be this should be pretty fun. All right. Let's get this thing going. Alex, you there? I am here. Hey, what's going on, sir? It's been a wild, wild <laughs> few weeks, sir. How about yourself? Same, same, same. Good to hear. Good but, to hear. But you work in a much funner environment. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's been, you know, yes, it, it is. Uh, I am very fortunate to do something that I absolutely love. But, man, the ever since we, you know, I'm sure you saw in the news, Texas got hit with this uh, massive, very unusual storm and the subsequent fallout that has been facing not only my business, but pretty much every business here in uh, in this great state of Texas has been uh, been a challenge to uh, overcome with, you know, shipping delays and hurdles and uh, just the snafus that it created. But it looks like we're we'll be through it at the end of this upcoming week. So I'm excited to get this week done and, and move on. Yeah. Get back to it. <laughs> get back to it for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely uh it's definitely crazy. I saw it I mean we were talking, I think you were at seven hundred feet or something like that, right? And got snow? Yeah, we're yeah, the shop's at like an elevation of a little over seven hundred feet. <laughs> That's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got uh we got like uh we got one freezing rain which dumped like an inch and a half of ice on everything and then uh at the shop we got nine inches of snow and then we got two more bouts of freezing rain after that um you know all in like a a seven day period and you know we're in texas we're supposed to be wearing flip-flops and board shorts and t-shirts about this time of year and uh you know we don't have snow plows or uh you know sanding material you know machines or anything like that so it literally shut you know austin down pretty heavily and i mean you know gas stations were out of fuel grocery stores were out of food i mean it was it was a wild time but you know we had it pretty decently but others had didn't have it so great but overall we're you know looking forward to it and having you come out of course we're gonna have a good time when you come out oh yeah i'm i'm looking forward to it we figured out with the uh the plane tickets it's actually cheaper to jump on a plane with my forks than it is to ship them via FedEx. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, much more absolutely. fun too. Yeah, of course. Way of better course. backstory. Now I'm just a little nervous about walking through the airport with the a case that may look like it contains something else. But you know, I've done it a lot. Um, you will get a few weird looks, but like you know, you're gonna have to check it underneath. So um, you know, it's it's not that bad. I, I've tried to fly with shocks. Um, quite a bit and i've gotten through a few times a few other times i haven't um i've never had anything like confiscated other than tools uh the tsa definitely is a big fan of snap-on tools and 
<laughs> I've learned to I've learned to not fly with my good tools anymore because um, they they will always you know rifle through it and take some stuff. Unfortunately, uh, yeah. This but you'll like be good. Woodwork. All right. Well, yeah. 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 You'll be good. Well, I am. I'm definitely looking forward to it. It's been a while since I've been on a plane. I hear it's a little bit different now. But you know. Yeah, they're empty. Yeah, <laughs> they're empty. It's you know that you you have that row uh, all to yourself. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a little bit unique. Uh, I've flown a little bit. In fact, I have to fly up to Illinois here um, very soon. Anyway, and you know it's a uh, it's you know uh, when I was in LA last. Um, totally spaced, like totally forgot about my return. I mean, I didn't forget about it. I was just too busy um, and tried to get everything done and, you know, expected to show up to LAX. I usually always try to fly into Burbank to try to like avoid the big crowds. Um, this was an LAX flight. And like, you know, I was in Ventura County to LAX is like about 45, 50 miles, somewhere in that range. Usually it's like an hour to an hour and a half. We made it there in like 35 minutes, hmm. was able to like I literally was through security in under five minutes and like literally walked right on the plane. So it's actually like really nice. I mean, it's an unfortunate situation, but flying right now yeah. isn't that big of a deal. Huh. Yeah. This is yeah. definitely going to be definitely going to be interesting, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it going out to, yep. uh, to Texas and, and see what the landscape's like out there. Yep. So, yep. So actually with what we just started talking about, I wanted to talk about rally Pan Am first, Sure. A little bit about, you know, what, tell me about the background. I mean, Scott Bright, he was one of the first in the bivouac episodes that we did. And he mentioned mm -hmm. about doing classes and, and working with you guys and doing this. So give me a little bit of background on that. So, you know, my introduction to rally racing was when Jonah Street was actually with Rally Pan Am. Um, it, Rally Pan Am shifted hands, you know, through a, through a few different guys or, or groups of guys to where it's at right now. Um, but I got introduced to Jonah. Um, I actually met Jonah Street uh, when I was living in Southern California and riding motorcycles. Uh, he, at the time, was riding a Honda and, like, living uh, very close to Jawbone Canyon. And, you know, like, we happened to he happened to join a ride and this is when he was racing for Honda, um, you know, racing down in Baja and everybody was like, Hey man, that's, that's Jonah street that's riding with us. And so, you know, I got to meet him, um, years later I was working at a. That looks like we got a quick drop out there of internet. Alex, you still with us? All right, we'll give it a sec to come back. But talking about Jonah Street, I happen to know somebody that has that bike currently. Actually, supposed to go riding with him tomorrow. I got a feeling it's going to be a little bit chilly in the morning, though, about 39 degrees. So waiting here. It looks like he is connected or disconnected. Not sure what's going on here. A little bit of technical difficulty, but let's see if we can get him back in here in just a second. Yeah, there we go. Victor, are you there? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't know what transpired there. My apologies. Yeah, no worries. Um, no worries. So, so uh, I was working in another motorcycle shop, and Jonah like called up and uh, was trying to raise funds for Dakar. And then uh, 
years later, I moved up to Seattle and I actually got to meet Jonah again and um, got introduced to Rally. Um, he was writing for, I don't yeah, he was still writing for Rally Pan Am at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, as we were kind of like an adventure bike specific shop, you know, my personal background's always been, you know, off road riding or racing. And so, um, I made a call and I called up, uh, Dave Peckham at rally management services. And, uh, he had just acquired rally management services and ICO racing is making the, uh, you know, the trip barometers and, uh, the compass heading computers and such. And I was like, look, I'm a huge fan of Dakar. I used to watch, you know, the, the videos of Dakar racing and, and rally racing with my dad when they, we, he would get them on like VH te- VHS tapes when I was a young kid. And so, you know, I was like, look, I just started my business or, you know, I'd been in business for a year, a few years. I was like, look, I can't cut you a check for 10, 15, 20 grand. But what I can do is like offer some services, right? Like I could help the team out. Um, you know, I'll give you some, um, you know, some mechanical support down at the rallies and, you know, just take whatever cut you would pay a normal mechanic and just put that back to the team. And, you know, that'll be my contribution. So I started doing that with Dave, got to know Dave pretty good. And, you know, he made, uh, introductions to me, introduced me to Scott, um, Ian, factory Phil, Phil Bowman, um, you know, a handful of guys and really just kind of immersed myself in the rally scene on the support side of things, working with them and had a great time. I mean, you know, you work, you work the hardest, you know, we, I think we did 13 or 14 guys, um, riders one year at the Baja rally. And I think we only had two mechanics. So, you know, it was up to like three or four every night sleeping under the truck and, you know, just absolutely loved all the aspects of getting these guys to the finish line. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, emotional support as well as mechanical support. So like I've made some friends that like at the events, um, you know, very successful, uh, white collar type workers that, you know, needed some additional motivation in ways that they were probably not used to getting it. And, you know, thought that I made an enemy. And then three months later, I get a phone call saying, Hey, you know, I hated you at the time, but you pushed me. You're the only reason I finished the event. Thank you so much. And so, it's really rewarding um, on a personal level. And, you know, I, I have road books, um, you know, I've raced uh, some events, you know, underground rallies and stuff like that. And uh, rally racing is like enduro racing without timekeeping and such like that. So it's, it transitioned really good for me. Um, I'm mediocre, you know, I'm a, a below bar, below average rider. Um, and then, a somewhat mediocre navigator. So I could typically hold my own pretty well, uh, which, which is an advantage. Uh, That's how you do it. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, rally Pan Am, the way that that kind of came about was that was originally started by a guy named Charlie Rossio and, uh, Rob McElroy. Then it transitioned to Dave Peckham's hands. Dave Peckham since retired the team, uh, moved on and, while it was just kind of sitting there idle, I was like, well, hey, you know, we can't have this, you know, this United States upper echelon rally team just kind of disappear, right? Like, I mean, that would be such a shame. So we brought it on. Um, 
with the intention a little bit different than what their, you know, their original intention was to get guys to Dakar, right? That was the end goal. Uh, they used the local rallies as practice grounds and such like that. Our philosophy or the way that we wanted to move forward with it is kind of treat it in a very organic nature. Let's offer the support to the public so they have the resources. So, you know, the biggest thing that we hear from enduro riders, you know, uh, Grand Prix off-road riders is it's so costly to go and do it. And so, you know, some of the guys that I've worked with in the past is, well, you know, if you're complaining about the cost of the equipment or you're complaining about the cost of the entry fees, rally racing's not for you. So, like, you know, let's face it, to go do Baja Rally or Sonora Rally, if you're an average rider, right, like a weekend racer type guy, you're going to have to neglect your family if you have one. You're going to have to neglect your family's, you know, yearly vacation funds to go racing for a week. And so... We kind of wanted to bring people in and kind of show them that. And that's really where working with guys like Scott. Um, Scott gives back so much to the community in so many different ways. And, you know, we've always done that, like in uh, in the operation of our business. Um, you know, we do fundraising activities. We've always done trail maintenance days. And we've, you know, always tried to give back in ways that we can. And so... When Scott and I started talking, he's like, look, I really want to do this school. I think we, we have the opportunity. Let's do it for free. And, you know, it's been really successful. And so introducing people that wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to go rally racing or spend the money right up front and go enter a race to learn how to navigate and, you know, kind of throw that first rally away as just a learning experience with Scott bringing on the school that he does, it allows people to kind of get their toes wet, see what they do. We give them the resources. You know, there's Rally Navigator. There's Tulip. Uh, you could make road books right outside your back door. You could, you know, do your research on the Internet and stuff like that and, you know, kind of give people the tools to really see if it's something that they want to um, pursue further. Then with Rally Pan Am, you know, uh, like I said, the, the the direction that we were originally planning on going has shifted a little bit. Um, a lot of that has to do with me having young kids at home and, you know, not really being able to dedicate as much time or resources towards the team that I would really like to. Uh, there's definitely plans in the near future to do that once my kids get a certain age and could devote a little bit more time to projects like that. Um but right now, really what we're doing is, you know, being that resource, answering people's questions, uh, steering them in the proper direction and, you know, bikes, bike setups, um, you know, really whatever they need or making the introductions to people that, you know, or companies that we may not offer, uh, you know, making introductions to guys like Matthew Glade at Rally Management Serv or Rally Moto Shop um, and so on. And so. Uh, really kind of right now we're, we're really only doing support services. Um, we have worked with, you know, Scott and, uh, West Van Neuenhouse, uh, you know, in offering them support and getting them to the events and providing them the resources that they need and such like that. Uh, but really it's really just getting clients, you know, guys that 
want the support, whether it's a fly and ride package or just a mechanical or even just a transport package um, to go to these events. And, you know, either we transport their stuff and they do like a Mali Moto type thing or we do mechanical support for them or they rent a bike from us that's fully prepped and ready to go. And then they just fly in like a rock star and uh, have fun. Make it happen. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, and this is, uh, I mean, it, it's huge because they're obviously the the sport of rally has gained a lot of recognition now with Brayback uh, twice now on the podium, top spot last year and then this year second. Um, yeah. it, it's It's kind of fueled that fire and I think it's gotten more people interested in it. And the ability to like how you guys have is to be able to have the rally school and, and be able to network people into this environment. Uh, I think it is absolutely huge. Um, it, it was because of you that I ended up uh, talking to Matthew Glade from uh, Rally Moto Shop. And it was like the conversation I was just like way further than what I ever thought. Like this is such a good resource and he's so willing to lend a hand. And he's a racer too. Everybody that I've talked to like you and, and everybody's yep. just, yeah. You know, it's Matthew. Matthew's kind of one of those guys that you meet once and you're friends with him forever, right? Like he's a he's a special guy. He is super passionate about the sport. Um, he's innovating that that company and bringing on different products, different services, developing his own stuff. And that was one thing that I learned immediately off the bat when you know, like there used to be this rally, this underground rally um, that was put on in Utah. And, you know, like the who's who of the rally scene would kind of show up. I mean, not guys like Brabeck, um, but, you know, a lot of really talented riders would show up and people within the industry and such like that. And, you know, somebody said it to me there. I think it was my first year there. He's like, you know, this is like 95 percent of people in the U.S. that rally are here right now. And there was like 35 of us or maybe, you know, maybe 40 of us. And it was like a really small eclectic group. And one thing that was very, uh, very noticeable right off the bat, you have to give back to the sport. Right. And so as something that's been, you know, ingrained in me as a, as a young adult growing up by my dad, who's a writer, um, and then also brought into our business is you have to give back to the sport. So like, you know, coming out with innovative products, innovative technology, innovative things, or, you know, being a resource, you always have to, the moto community is so small as a whole, um, not just rally, but I mean, you know, moto off-road desert, everything in between, it's a small community. So, you know, with, with the, the challenges that we're facing now in regards to, um, it's an easy way to put this. When I was growing up, it was totally acceptable for like a parent to come home and be like, Hey honey, I bought some motorcycles. We're going to take the kids out and go riding and, you know, we're going to camp out and do these things and such like that. Nowadays that, that doesn't really happen right with the green movement. And, you know, you might not be socially accepted within your community or, you know, whatever it is. So like it's motorcycling has changed. Um, you know, I started riding when I was four years old, I'm 38 now. So I've been riding a while and uh, you know, the shift that I've seen has been huge. And I mean, it's going to be just as huge in you know, my children's lifetime. So it'll be interesting to see, but it was very apparent that, you know, giving back to the rally sport in one way, shape or form, whether it's on a monetary basis or, 
you know, innovative or support or whatever it is. And with that, you know, I've never met anybody in the rally scene that wouldn't give the shirt off the back to help another racer. I mean, I've literally seen guys roll brand new bikes, you know, a spare bike that they possibly had or a brand new bike out of a bike, uh, you know, out of their sprinter or whatever it is. And Hey, we're going to yank this motor out and I'm going to give it to my competitor. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't see that in, in many things. So rally is a really unique, uh, sport and it's, it's growing. I hope it continues to grow. I mean, you know, we have guys like Skyler, uh, Andrew short, Ricky Brabeck, um, you know, all those guys that are going out and doing what they're doing and, and being successful in, you know, one way, shape or form. It's, uh, I hope that it continues to grow. Yeah. I, and yeah. I definitely agree that it, uh, that it will, I mean, and, and you mentioned a good point and I completely say so, but yeah, in, in talking to Skyler and his story and how he made it, uh, to Dakar, you know, originally with the help of Garrett, uh, Boucher yep. and, and Garrett off road and all of that. And it's like, there's a lot of stories that are more relatable. You have, you know, you see Brayback and you go like, yeah, you know, he's been on the Honda team. He's been a factory rider for so long. And then you have uh, Skyler, who's every bit of factory talent, just doesn't have that backing yet. And it's it's just absolutely, it, it shows the, 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 the wide scope of people that are in this sport and can get into the sport and can do, do some really amazing things. I mean, for sure. You know, I mean, it, it's, you know, I mean, look at Bert, uh, Ricky, right? Like, um, you know, I don't know Ricky on a personal level in, in any way, shape or form, but, you know, as an outsider, you know, I grew up in Southern California and, and, you know, district 37 and Heron Hound and, and such like that. Like, you know, Ricky came on as like a SoCal desert rat, right? Mm-hmm. Like a, like a SoCal desert bro. And, mm-hmm. You know, he kicked ass and, um, you know, didn't really at that time didn't have the um, the professionalism behind it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then and then obviously, you know, he got picked up by JCR. And now look at who he is. I mean, he paid he won the car. Right. Like, I mean, it's huge. And he's a he's an absolute professional on and off the track. And, you know, the same thing with uh, Skyler, like. I, I'm I'm hoping that something happens for him because as an outsider, he's the nicest guy in the pits. He's an incredibly talented rider. He's an incredibly talented mechanic, um, you know, and has risked everything to make it happen. And so, you know, to finish the top five, um, you know, as a privateer and, you know, like, I mean, we can only hope, you know, I, I saw that he was on a plane the other day, like a, a big, a big 747 or something like that. It was empty. And I was like, Oh man, I hope he's going to go get a, you know, a factory ride or something like that. So, um, I hope that's the testing ride right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on exactly. my way to testing without saying yeah, I'm on yeah. my way to testing. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope it's something like that. Cause he, he deserves every bit of it. He does. Yeah, For absolutely. Sure. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with that too. I mean, it was, <coughs> I, got, I got to meet him at Baja rally and, and work with him and Garrett and it's absolutely cool. And it's just the, um, Outside looking in, sometimes you, you know, with, even with, for me, you know, I kind of walk up to somebody and I'm like, hmm, I wonder how this is going to go. But you look at them and you think like, eh. but once you talk to them, they're like, both of them are just so approachable and so willing to just yeah. spend time and, and, and talk. And just, it's just absolutely crazy. And I think, you know, I think that that is one of the things that makes um, Skyler, I want to use the term dangerous, but 
you know, that the fact that he can wrench, he understands the bike very well. He's like a natural at navigating. I mean, he makes it seem like we, you know, with my time at Baharali, it almost made it seem like we told him where the waypoints were. I mean, he just is so on point, you know, right. and like anybody else, you know, there's the occasional off or whatever, but it's just they're few and far between for somebody sure. who just got started. So, yeah, well, you know, he's a he's a smart guy and uh you know, he's 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 the full picture. I mean, you know, I don't know Skylar on a personal level either, but um uh, you know, as an outsider looking in and you know, interacting with him and with the limited interactions that I've had, it's, you know, he's he's one of those guys that you're just rooting for constantly. Yeah. Yeah. I I will never forget that that last clip where he's coming in. Uh, coming to the line at this year's Dakar. Oh, yeah. And it's yeah. just, you know, it, it's like you're right there with him. Like, you just understand his story and how long or how hard he had to work to get there. And it's just, you're like, yeah, that's yep. absolutely all his. So rally schools and, and things like that. I mean, do you do you have anything on the calendar for? Yeah, so uh, I, I've been talking with Scott. So we're, we're kind of changing up the platform. Um so, you know, it's it's very much Scott school, um, uh-huh. you know, just just to make that clear, like it's very much Scott school. But, um, you know, Scott, Scott's a business owner. You know, he's a dad. He's a, a racer. Uh, you know, his son's racing GNCCs. And so, you know, he he can't devote necessarily um, the the time or resources to it that he would probably like. So that's kind of where our relationship kind of jives. Um, so I can't really dive too far into it but basically you know this covid situation um you know has altered things for what we would all probably agree for for way too long but Mm -hmm. um we're gonna shift things around like the the rally pan am website's getting redone um basically what we're gonna do is yeah let me let me stop there (laughs) let me me stop there and uh yeah, we'll have to circle back um, on that, but uh, we have some really cool things that we're going to do and uh, make it a lot easier uh, for people to that maybe can't travel halfway across the country to go attend one of these. So we got some things in the works that we'll probably pick up and uh, and help quite a bit. Nice, yeah, and, and that's yeah. like uh, with with the schools popping up. You know, Skyler's been talking about her, kind of mentioned it uh, when I talked to him and. Yep. There's there's a lot um, popping up, and I mean, I'm glad to hear you know that it's like at the forefront. And like you said, it's not you know just kind of dying on the vine. You guys are are still working on it and still doing it as time permits. You know? Yeah, because you yeah. kind you kind of have a whole nother business going on too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that's what pays the bills. Uh, yeah. Rally Pan Am definitely does not pay the bills. Yeah. It's uh, it's it. Yeah, it's typically a loss, but um, you know, it's it's kind of one of those things where you know that's uh giving back to the sport and sometimes that's just what it is and you know i mean it's it could be worse like right like spending a week in mexico having fun like-minded individuals and getting to see new places it's not the worst thing in the world but uh that's horrible why would you ever do that yeah yeah, it's horrible horrible (laughs) but uh yeah conflict uh that's that's what pays the bills and uh you know keeps keeps the roof over our heads and uh and you know what we've been working on for uh about 10 years now nice Man, that's crazy. Yeah. That's a fast 10 years, I bet. Yeah, it feels like yesterday. Yeah, it really <laughs> does. It really does. Yeah, I definitely see it. So with that being said, let's talk about conflict. Yeah. So, 
conflict conflict uh you know now that i'm a little bit older um you know i was mid to late 20s when i kind of started conflict and it the name is it's called conflict because it was literally born out of a conflict i was working for another suspension shop and um that owner's moral compass wasn't necessarily properly aligned um and so he and i had a falling out and you know it was kind of one of those things i was previously working in the automotive industry um and then when the automotive uh when the housing market issues in late 07 08 kind of hit um you know i was without a job and i had a riding buddy who I rode with like every weekend that started a suspension shop. So I went and worked for him after, you know, he had been in business for two or three years and then, uh, went and worked for him. And, uh, I was with him, I don't know, like a year and a half or somewhere in that time frame, And, you know, took him from like a, a sub $400,000 a year shop to, you know, close to a million or if not above. And, uh, with success came drug use and some other things that were not necessarily appropriately done. And so he and I had a falling out and literally started the company. Um, cause I was pissed off, right? Yeah. Like I was, I was frustrated. I was young. I was full of piss and vinegar. And I was like, well, you know, this is a business that's going to be out of our conflict. And so that's where conflict came about. And, you know, the the K in the name, I was literally in the business licensing office in Southern California, and they're like, oh, there's already a conflict motorsports that's associated with, like, vehicle repair, um, like automotive repair. And I was like, oh, shit, I really like that name. Let's, you know, just put a K. And, you know, that's where the K came from. It was as simple as that. Um, and then shortly thereafter, uh, I went to suspension school and, you know, started playing around and testing, testing, testing. And then uh, I had moved from Southern California up to Washington State at this point in time. And, um, you know, it just kind of grew organically. Um, I mean, I was literally like my wife has pictures of me. Uh, when we moved to Washington state, like we didn't like investigate or really do anything or like, Oh, we're going to move here. And, you know, she found an apartment and picked an apartment. And when we showed up, you had like, a the apartment was on this lake and it was like over this lake. So you had to like walk down a dock, like a hundred feet and then kind of hang a left and go into our house. And oh, wow. so when I started this business and like guys started coming to me there, um, I had to push their motorcycles like down this dock and I didn't even have a garage at the time. So like we would move the kitchen, the, the living room couches to the walls and I'd put tarps down and I would work on motorcycles, um, in the living room and then doing suspension, um, in the kitchen sink. Like I would plug the kitchen sink up and it was wild, wild. And you know, like <laughs> kind of moved from there. You said wife, right? You married her. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. That was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've been married Keeper. a long time. Yeah, we we've been together a long time and we've been married a long time, but uh awesome. you know, uh you know kind of made those, you know, typical entrepreneurial sacrifices that you have to do. I mean, you know, we had no money and didn't have any tools and I worked two jobs and then would do, you know, suspension on the side and you know, it just kind of transitioned to uh finally I was doing it full time and you know, got in a shop and move shops, you know, always growing into bigger spaces and such like that. And then, um, 
had two kids uh, or had one kid when we were up in Washington State, my son. Um, and then, you know, the upper northwest, uh, you know, at least on the west side of the state, has changed a lot in the 10 years that we were there. And so when we had our son, it was kind of like we didn't want to raise him in that environment. Um so, you know, when we moved to the Pacific Northwest from L.A., uh, my best friend uh, had moved to Austin, Texas. So it was like either we're moving to Seattle or we're moving to Texas. And mm-hmm. we moved to the Northwest. We were there for 11 years. And then um, about a year and a half ago, maybe coming up on two years, I guess it's actually two years, uh, you know, moved down here, built a shop, um, got everything going and. You know, here we are. Nice. Well, that's yeah. good. And it's all been growth. And I mean, <laughs> I, I can only imagine, you know, doing uh, cleaning suspension parts in the kitchen sink. It's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's been a wild time. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's, it's, you know, 100% so at equity. And I mean, you know, nobody gave us any money or, you know, any of those things. And uh, it's been a grind for, you know, 10 years. And, you know, we've been very fortunate, um, you know, to have support from the community and, uh, you know, our colleagues within the industry. Um, so, you know, the growth that we've seen, we feel very, very, very fortunate to have and, uh, and lucky to have. Yeah. Well, and yeah. it's it's an amazing thing. And I can tell you, on at least in my end, right, working uh, when I worked at San Diego BMW Motorcycles and. And and just being around the whole adventure bike thing is like you you and what you have built is like literally a household name for suspension, you know. It's wild. It's, it's really wild to be honest. Like nobody, like I, you know, I I know who Precision Concepts is, but I know sure. that because of Johnny Campbell and sure. and that that venture and how that got started. But nothing as widespread as is what I've heard with with conflict and I'm sending my suspension to conflict. Oh, conflict is doing this for me, or conflict is going to do that for me, and it's. It's awesome. You know, it's it's just absolutely crazy how how big it's grown. So well done on that. We appreciate it. You know, we've been like I said, we've been really fortunate. And, you know, sure, we've we've I'll be the first to admit I'm not a businessman. You know, I'm I'm learning. I've learned as I've gone. And, you know, the first five, six years in business, man, it was uh, I learned some really valuable, costly lessons, you know, up front, like as most entrepreneurs do. Um, but it's been, you know, we've been very fortunate, um, you know, like we kind of fell into the adventure segment when we moved to, you know, the Pacific Northwest, we, you know, we're planning on just doing dirt bikes, you know, it's kind of what our plan was. And then when we got there, uh, you know, the Pacific Northwest is like adventure bike central. And after turning down so many people saying, Hey, you know, that's not us. That's not what we do. Um, Finally, I, I kind of did it and I bought an adventure bike and fell in love with it immediately. And, you know, it just kind of I think we hit it at the right time with the growth and, you know, the start of the the growth of the adventure bikes. So we got really fortunate in the timing and, and the placement of where we were and, you know, really devoted um, all the resources we had to developing those bikes and, and such like that. That's crazy. What was so? What was the first adventure bike? What'd you get? Uh, nine ninety adventure. Nine ninety. Okay, so yeah, yeah. it's an oversized dirt bike. Yeah, yeah. I've had, <laughs> I've had. I, I just bought my sixth uh, nine ninety, and I've had three super enduros um, in that time frame, and uh, 
got an 890 and you know uh or 890 i'm gonna be picking up here relatively soon and um you know i had a multitude of mixtures of bikes in between but you know we do things with conflict a little bit differently than most traditional suspension shops is you know when a new model bike comes out Mm -hmm. we go out and we buy it we bring it in the house we build it we ride it we test it we develop it um and then, you know, at the end, uh, you know, we're knowledgeable of, you know, not only the suspension platform, but the entire chassis, the engine, you know, and, and such like that. So when a client does call, you know, it typically starts, com- you know, mo- you know, suspension related. And then it's like, oh, no, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to call these people and get these things and, and such like that. So we're a well-versed suspension shop not only in suspension but also in the the products and services that we may offer or even some of our colleagues offer and such like that so not not just suspension but you know you're more more of a resource which which is awesome and uh definitely something that i see you know in in the people that would come into the shop and talking and all that stuff like we would end up spending a lot of time because there are it's like Going into the internet, people would rather talk to somebody that's a shop and an expert than go to Facebook because Facebook or or any of the social media platforms, any question you ask nowadays is literally like asking what oil should I run? You know, it's 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 interesting. I I, I can't say a name, but I, I recently talked with uh in the motorcycling testing platform, um you know, as as far as people doing this for a living, uh, the the amount of support that the you know let's call them media guys, what they get nowadays to what they used to get ten years ago or fifteen or twenty years ago, mm-hmm. is so changed. Where now you know the influencers on social media and such like that are um, they're getting more support than the media guys are, and then on the flip side. Like I said, I, I won't say any names, but, um, you know, there's 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 some people that are considered very in the adventure segment. Right. Like the motor guys, you know, those guys are pretty well vetted. It's, it's such like that. But in the adventure segment, in some of the publications and um, in, you know, uh, what they're considered knowledgeable about and such like that, even if it's just a social media influencer or such like that mm-hmm. is you know, their skill set is, you know, so minuscule, right? Like, I mean, you know, like when you talk to a guy like Skyler or, you know, guys that have, you know, tried different year chassis and the same motor and, you know, like they have a specific feel for, uh, you know, the flex of a frame versus, uh, you know, billet versus cast triples or billet versus cast lugs and, you know, all the little nuances that it takes to set up a bike. Mm-hmm. When you the the some of the social media influencers that are being held in high regard by the general public um, in being knowledgeable on how to set a bike up, they're really far from far from. And yeah. then you see guys, then you see guys on the flip side that have all that knowledge that have you know worked at magazines or been editors at magazines and such like that, and you find out the support that they're getting. It's like, yeah. wow, it's almost so it's it's changed quite a bit. I, you know, it, it's interesting. So I have some experience in that in RC racing and I see that in with what you're telling me. I totally see it is, is that, you know, we would have guys that were sponsored full factory rides 
as as weird as that may sound for toy cars, but you would ask them, hey, how do what's the chassis flex like? What does this thing run like? Sure. What's the thing? The best answer you could get out of them was, oh, it's dialed. It's dialed. Right. You don't even need to know, dude. It's just dialed. Right. Okay. You know, it, that, that whole RC car thing, like, you know, when I was a kid, I had like a an associated RC 10 or whatever it was, you know, a little electric car. And um, one of my guys uh, that works for me, uh, he's he's like into competition rock crawling and these RC cars. And then he's he's acquiring like all these different machines. And he just got this like fifth scale. The thing weighs like. 40 something pounds it does 65 miles an hour out of the box and nice. you know like we're 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 jumping it out in front of the shop and he's talking about stuff like that he's like oh you know like you know i need to change oil viscosity in the shocks and do this and do that and i'm gonna stiffen the chassis here and that and it's like yeah oh you know it, that knowledge just doesn't stop and keeps going no and and that you know it, it it's I'll, I'll go with it it's sad to see that in with social media and what that's created where it's harder for people to break out uh that actually know it right they're they're busy out riding and figuring these bikes out rather than posting you know these cool <clears throat> shots you know <laughs> and yeah. videos of what's that you know i think the public's starting to see through it a little bit um i think the the, the value that was once considered you know influencers and and social media guys are, are people that had, uh, you know, big followings. I think the general public's kind of starting to see through that a little bit. And uh, so we'll see. We'll see. It's just, you know, we don't want to see, you know, editorials like, uh, you know, the guys at Upshift or, or, you know, any of those other magazines, you know, like we consider those guys or help hold them in high regard and we want to see them do well. Yeah, it's, it's like you. Um, I think the roles need to be further defined hey i saw this picture on instagram this is cool okay now i'm gonna go check on you know what uh what simon's doing from upshift you know did he ride sure. this bike did he see it what's the opinion on it sure. you know and and i saw like they they were just out with uh quinn cody right down in baja riding, yeah. riding those bikes around and it's just absolutely amazing like i went through the article i'm like okay this is like you know quinn cody obviously knows his way around a motorcycle um, yeah, yeah, I think that, that goes know, without saying. Yeah, without saying. Yeah. I, couldn't, yeah. Like, I always say I couldn't catch him if he was only allowed to go to second gear. You know, he's still yeah. that fast. But, you know, it's, it's uh, the ins and the things and the information that you can gain from that is stuff that you can bring back and, and relay that to the general public and, and make the end user smarter about the bike that they're riding. Oh, this is why it's designed this way. Oh, this is why well, they did that. Yeah, well, what Quinn has done for the adventure bikes here in the U.S., um, specifically for KTM, has, you know, I mean, you're seeing it, you know, with the release of the 790. I mean, that was that was Quinn's baby. And, and now the 890. And, um, you know, KTM does their R&D. They, they do their hard work and they listen to the consumer base. And, you know, uh, it was like four years ago I was at a, uh, an adventure rally and uh, – this team from Kiska, you know, KTM, Kiska, mm -hmm. they came over and they wanted to have like an hour long conversation. And, you know, they, they did that to a lot of the colleagues that were present at that rally. And they traveled and went all over the world and said, hey, you know, what are we really looking for? What's going to be the next bike? And, you know, that's what the 790 was. And then with having Quinn involved with the R&D of that application here in the U.S. has just dynamically changed what these bikes are, are really made for. And 
now we're seeing the the fruits of their labor and and obviously they're being successful because of that yeah yeah i mean now now like uh, it was one of those things like when i got the 790 it was like the second round because i think they had the 19s and then the 20s i got one of the first 20s and it was you know it was like three or four of them that i would see maybe around the streets and now maybe it's just if owning one it's like i see them everywhere and yeah they're phenomenal bikes yeah. they really are it's it was crazy. I like when I first got it. I had right. I had my F850, and I was like, oh yeah, the F850. Finally, you know this and that, and, and really great bike on the road. And now I see that separation more now owning the 790. But yep. as soon as the 790 touches dirt, with that zero experience, I, I'll be the first to say I I know nothing about suspension clickers. I could I could dial in an off road four wheel race car. I could do that. I know how to do that. I grew up in that, but I can't do that on a bike. That's why we have you. Sure. And but you can just tell that that bike was straight up bred for dirt. And it, yeah, absolutely, as, as big as it is, it does it hides its well so stupidly well. It's just absolutely crazy. Yep. Yep. But yeah, there, there's room for improvement. There's always room for improvement. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. And and so speaking of improvement, so I guess I'll come see you in a couple of weeks. But yep. you've got the the fork cartridge kit. Yep. Um, we were talking a little bit about that, and uh, you know, obviously, I was stoked that once you released, I started talking to a couple of friends. And I'm like, yeah, you know, diamond like coding. I started throwing all these coatings and things at them, and they're like, it does this and it does that, and everybody's looking at me like, huh? Yeah, it's. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so talk. Let, let's talk a little bit about the coding, like talk a little bit about what, what I'm getting. You know, I kind of already know, but, you know, just the I guess it's why. Why did we do some? Because I, I was floored when you told me about like what Kashima coding does, what I may notice with that, the diamond like coding, all of that stuff. What's so so this is the first chassis. So like. You know, we've been in business for a decade now, right? And, you know, we've done a lot of suspension, right? We've had people from all over the world send their suspension into us. And, you know, one of the things in being able to take this business as far as scalability it goes is, you know, eliminating the, the hands-on, right? So, like, having a tangible product that we can build a dealer network with, um, you know, throughout the world and, uh, offer some in the suspension world, you know, typically there's compromises that are being made, right? So like, you know, you're not going to have a fork that's going to work good on a motor track. That's going to work, you know, desert racing. That's going to be good for hard enduro or, or anything in between. So, you know, you can always have to kind of pick your segment as to, you know, what's what you're focused on and then build the suspension around that. And so, we wanted to offer a cartridge kit or release our own line of suspension and have a tangible product that we can build a dealer network with and really be able to offer that to the public. Now, when you try to tackle something like that, you always, you know, one of the smart things to do is, you know, look at what's being offered within the community. So we did that. We, you know, not necessarily for the 790 or 890 application, um, though that is definitely, you know, what we focused on. But 
really kind of look at, see what other people are doing or what other companies are doing, what their products are, are, you know, offered. Let's bring those in house. Let's test them. Let's, you know, let's get the data. Let's, let's see what they're doing. So, you know, um, we've done that, you know, we sent suspension out and, you know, to some of our competitors, we bought suspension components, we brought them in house, we tested them, um, and really kind of determined and, you know, determine where each one shined, where it didn't, um, you know, where, where the pros and cons were, and then really sat down and kind of made a checklist. And, you know, I mean, to be honest with you, I had a notepad sitting next to me on my nightstand for, uh, like eight months and I would wake up in the middle of the night and I'd be like, gosh, you know, we need to add this. We need to have that. We need to do this. We need to do that. So as the suspension on the 790 and now 890, features a version of the Explore fork that's found on the majority of the dirt bike models, you know, on both the KTM and Husqvarna models. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, different stroke lengths, different collapse lengths. Um, and so historically, you know, what we were doing is we're changing uh, base valve pistons, changing the mid-speed compression assembly and kind of keeping the functionality of the fork as is because with the way the fork lugs are designed, there's not really any room to put a compression adjuster in the bottom of the fork. So, you know, you still had one, one leg that kind of did everything. And then you had a compression leg that was kind of a dummy leg that really didn't do all that much. So, you know, when that bike was released, we kind of developed our settings, utilizing some components or our components and, and kind of offering that to the public. And, you know, I'll be the first to admit is while it was a substantial improvement over stock, it still left some to be desired. So that's really where, you know, being able to make that jump, make that hurdle into manufacturing things and, you know, having a checklist and, and really being able to address all of the shortcomings and, you know, uh, I don't have any manufacturing experience, um, very little to be honest. And so, you know, I reached out to somebody within the industry that manufactures suspension components and it was Jeremy Wilkie at MX tech suspension. And I said, Jeremy, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to do it. Here's the checklist of the things that I really want to want to happen. And he's like, you know, let me think on it. I'll get back to you. And, you know, two two or three weeks later, he calls me back and he goes, let's do this. And so, you know, basically he's manufacturing the components for us. We are the exclusive dealer or distributor of those components. They are set to our specifications. So, you know, the valving settings and the features and all of those things are all designed in-house at Conflict Motorsports. Um, And then he's just being the manufacturer for us. With that... um, you know, the one of the first prototypes that we received kind of had the same functionality as OEM. So you had compression control in one, one leg, rebound control in the other. And, you know, we used a lot of the technology that he has, you know, implemented into his cartridges or suspension line into the development and utilization of those uh, those items in this setup. Mm-hmm. Um I still felt it could be better. So we went back to the drawing board, we made some alterations and we got to where we're at now. And so I'm really, really happy. In fact, we just had uh, the professional photographer in the shop today, taking photos of the components for the press release. That's going to be going out on Monday. Um, But so, 
you know, what we've been able to implement in this fork design is something that none of our other competitors or anybody has been able to achieve on this style of fork on this application. So um, to start, we brought in uh, preload adjustable fork caps to his fork cap design. So, um, you know, one of the things is preload adjustable caps always get beat up. So to eliminate that or it fades, you know, the color fades just due to the anodizing being out in the, in the elements. So the center knobs we actually sent to Japan and had Kashima coded. Um, that way, you know, you could stick a wrench on it. You could reef on it. You're not going to scratch it. You're not going to nick it or mar it. Um, then the outer is, uh, you know, type, I think it's type two, class three, 286, hard anno, um, looks really clean. And then you have, uh, 11 millimeters of preload adjustability on the fork springs itself. Mm-hmm. Then when you come to the cartridge design itself, so we have, um, the quality of the components is much vaster. So the, the machining tolerances are much greater than what comes in OEM. Um, tolerances are on point uh, across the board. The materials that we're utilizing, the uh, you know the type of aluminums and the hard anos or the the sliding surface bushings and such like that is is all top shelf components. Um, you know what I would consider a kit style suspension. And then in the development of that, like I said, we, we're utilizing some technology that's been featured previously in what's been offered for the dirt bikes, but not seen in the adventure bikes. So uh, MX Tech has what's known as the Huck Valve System, which is a, a bottoming control circuit that's actually tunable. That is a completely separate tuning circuit than your traditional high and low speed compression, which is where you'd kind of uh, make up for some of that in a certain sense. So you have a, a needle and orifice style bottoming circuit. Then uh, we introduce sub valves into the base valve assembly. And then what's really neat is we were actually able to do the conversion where you have compression adjustment in the bottom of both front forks, rebound adjustment in the top. And then that way it's balanced properly without this throughout the system. Mm-hmm. And then you know, with the the type of materials that we're using, um, I will say this, uh, with our cartridge, with the springs that we're utilizing, the fluids that we're utilizing, we are able to pull over a pound of weight off the front end of the bike um, with our setup. So, you know, that's something that a lot of people do look at. And, you know, we have clients that spend three to $4,000 to outfit their bike with titanium hardware and axles and, and such like that. So being able to pull a pound off a weight off the front end of the bike, it's unsprung mass. So, you know, it does help. And, uh, we're pretty excited about that. Revolutionary, revolutionary stuff, uh, available for the market. And we had these tested, uh, in a multitude of configurations all throughout the U.S. and California, the Pacific Northwest, Utah, Colorado, um, Pennsylvania, Florida, um, Georgia. So, you know, they've been tested throughout. And, of course, here in Texas. So we've been fortunate enough to uh, we have a ranch um, that's about 20 minutes from our shop. It's 675 acres. And we've been developing it with... Uh, it's got like a pseudo natural grass track, motocross track. It's got single track trails. It's got hard enduro type riding. Um, and then it's got uh, like 
18 miles of, uh, no, excuse me, 16 miles of, you know, two track roads and unimproved. So it's a perfect testing platform for us to use as it's got the variety of terrain from everything from hard pack to limestone ledges to sand washes and everything in between. Nice. So you, you can, cause I, I, if I know something about suspensions is like you said, it is just test and test and test. Okay. I'm going to change these shims. Okay. Time to go back out. I'm going to do this adjustment time to go back out. So to a, to a certain extent. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, we're, we do things a little bit differently. Uh, so we use data acquisition um, devices that we will, you know, utilize on the bike. And then we also use dyno testing. And then, you know, dyno testing is not, you know, is definitely not the end all of end all. Um, you know, a lot of companies use dynos to develop their stuff and they do very little seat of the pants testing. Um, we use it more um, fine tuning than anything else. So, we do all three. We do dyno, data acquisition, and then seat of the pants testing. So it's really well-versed. And, and what I like about that is, you know, we have the hard data, right? Like we have the data to go back to, to reference back, um, you know, get see the changes in between and, uh, you know, make those, make those improvements that we need to based off of that and the feedback that we get with some of the riders that we work with. Yeah. It is definitely you're going to get, I can imagine, you know, everybody's going to uh, feel, oh, I got this suspension done and all this. I, this is so great, but they don't know that until they jump on the next thing. And then they're like, oh, this is so much better. Yeah, there's so. there's a lot of that. And, you know, in the in not so much in the moto community, but definitely in the adventure segment of things, there's there's a lot of terminology that's used to showcase some products or services so to speak within the suspension segment that uh you know i i I wish i could you know bring it to the public's attention and really oust them but you know i mean that's just it's not good for anybody but um that's that's why we like having that data and with the release of this car kit we're releasing, you know, we're being 100 transparent where you're going to see the data, you're going to see the dyno graphs, you're going to see the data acquisition graphs, you're going to see all of that technology, um, you know, laid out into as, as, as much of a layman's term as we can so people can understand it. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and so with that, I mean, I have like, uh, I had some questions about it because it's, um, so right now, right for the seven ninety eight ninety, the the standard is go pay WP. I, I don't even know. It's like eight or nine grand for their kit, um, and then and then bolt it on your bike and then go. Um, but I don't think a lot of people realize, right? It's, you still need to do work to that, right? It's just yeah. Not, I mean, it's, yeah. it's 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 so. I mean, those are really nice components. I mean, yeah. pro components. You know, they got billet fork lugs, they got treated lowers, they got, you know, different seal holders, they got different design upper tubes. You're going from an open chamber to a closed chamber fork. Um, you know, the, the machining tolerances on those are vastly improved over the OEM components and such like that. So, you know, the, they are really nice, high-end quality suspension components. But that's just like going to men's warehouse and buying a suit, bolting it, you know, and, and same thing and putting it on or going and having a custom tailored suit, you know, like, is the fit going to be different? Is it going to be properly set and so on? So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, pro components, um, you know, 
I think the forks are like 3,600 bucks, the rear shocks, 2,200 bucks. And then, you know, you still got to go in and, you know, if you don't fall into that 165 to 187 pound rider in gear weight, um, you know, you're looking at a respring possible, you know, well, if you're spending 6,000 bucks on a proper set of suspension, you know, you might as well get it set up for you. So there's another thousand bucks plus some components. So, you know, it's typically, <coughs> excuse me, typically 7,000 bucks, you know, 65 to $7,000 when they're properly set up, which is half the cost of the motorcycle. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, that's, that's kind of one of those things where we came in and, you know, really wanted to develop this cartridge kit and keep it priced in line with as close as we could to what it would cost for a traditional, you know, like, Hey, what were we doing before we released this cartridge kit? Right. So we we're base valves, mid-speed piston, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that came out to this dollar amount. We wanted to get the, the cartridge kit to kind of fill that void um, and be as competitive with just your standard revalve, respring, reseal would cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that way we could kind of fill that void, right? Between, you know, the six or $7,000 for the pro components or, you know, just go with the traditional revalve, respring, reseal, but then implement the, you know, the advantages of what we offer with this cartridge kit. And then, in retrospect, at that point in time, you know, we're, we're still working on some things, but, you know, we, we have a core exchange program for, you know, Kashima coated upper tubes, DLC coated lower tubes, and then anodized fork lugs, right? So like Kashima coating is six to eight weeks turnaround time. So, you know, we bought like 12 sets of suspension, or I think it might've been 14 or whatever it is. You know, we have over 10 sets of suspension that are in-house or in rotation at all times. So if you have a 790, 890, um, you know, we could just literally pull Kashimo right off the shelf. We can give you DLC right off the shelf. If you want to have the anodized fork lugs and get that A-kit look um, and performance, then we could do that by just, you know, pulling the stuff off the shelf rather than having your bike down for two months or whatever it may be waiting for those phones to come back. So let me, let me stop you there on the, on the, the coding stuff. Why, why would somebody like, why is Kashima a big deal? And why is diamond like coding a big deal? Like what, you know, what are the advantages there? So Kashima coding is a proprietary hard anodizing process. It's done by the Miyake Corporation in Japan. They're the only ones in the world that can do it. Um, so really what the main functionality of Kashima coating is, it's all internals. Um, so, you know, the sliding surface that the bushings are sliding on is uh, Kashima is a self-lubricating, hard anodizing material. So it allows for the it's a much more slippery surface or you know stiction free zone Mm -hmm. so really i mean it is a very high-end coating and you know factory level riders are typically running you know kashima coating and the reason for it is this the initial movement of the suspension um and we actually have the values for this so i can't i can't mention it now but we actually have the values that we're going to release in the press release of OEM setup utilizing the OEM seals and such like that. Um, OEM setup utilizing the SKF dual compound seals and then um, 
Kashina coated uppers, DLC coated, utilizing SKF dual compound seals. So we're, we are releasing all of that data to showcase exactly what those values are. But as a rider, what you're going to feel is small bump compliancy. So whether it's a round rock, a round modulation in the trail, or uh, square edge hits, you know, let's say three inches and under, the amount of force that it requires for your suspension to start that initial movement is reduced by a substantial margin utilizing Kashima coating and DLC. So Kashima coating is of the upper tubes, DLC coating, diamond light coating um, is that black coating that you'll see on the lowers. Um, so it's a, it's a, another process. Um, it's not patented. It's uh, it's actually done by quite a few companies within the U S and the qualities of those vary all over the place. So we've we've been with our existing DLC coding company for about four years now. Um, we've vetted about eight different ones prior to sticking with the ones that we're with now, and they do an absolutely phenomenal job. And we've with this company, we've had absolutely zero issues. So it is a coating that is 2.5 microns thick on average. So uh, about the thousandth of a human hair is essentially what it comes out to be. And it is a self-lubricating coating that is also exceptionally hard. So diamond-like, I mean, that's what it's, that's what the name is for. So it's a very hard coating um, that allows the, lower bushing and the fork seal and the dust seal to slide significantly less stiction or friction. Uh, that, that measurement is vastly removed or, or reduced. So what you feel as a rider is better bump compliancy. So it just allows that suspension to move a lot freer and it's substantial. Uh, it's, it's, it's a substantial data measure measurement and uh, we're excited to share that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm definitely curious curious to see the number, but I think you know, like you said, is uh, picking up where it is. So what I'm hearing is is uh, fire roads that were traveled on by every jeep in Southern California, and maybe even the mall crawlers that leave those chatter bumps there when I go through. Yeah, it. the acceleration bumps coming out of corners and such like that, where it's uh-huh. just crack, 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 crack. Yeah, that's that's. So there's actually some things that come into that that were that are not suspension related, but it is vastly improved. Um, believe it or not, the biggest thing that, that is that the acceleration bump specifically is your wheelbase. So where you have your axle and your rear swing arm and where you have your forks and the triples and then your tire choice. Um, and then of course, tire pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's kind of the three things, but the suspension stuff will, will definitely improve that vastly for sure. And then once, you know, once down, going down the straight or whatever it is, if it's still kind of clapped out, not necessarily the acceleration bump side of it or braking bumps coming in, but just the general stuff sounds like that's where I might notice a difference too, or we may notice a difference as well. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, so then there's the weight savings that you mentioned earlier, you're saying removing almost about a pound of weight out of that. And I've seen on the 790s and 890s uh, Rottweiler who knows a thing or two about KTM vastly. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. A little, whatever. You know? Yeah. Um, I see that they have that kit for the single side caliper, you know, just using one caliper yep. with the rotor and all that stuff. So obviously removing the entire weight of a brake line and a caliper, 
Uh, what it's huge. If, yeah. So it's huge is where would I know? Where would we notice that? Everywhere. Okay. Um, everywhere. Really um, with the weight removal up there, as far as that, I mean, the, the, I could sit down and calculate out exactly what that would equate into the unsprung mass measurement. Um, but really like the flop over, you know, the flop over from center. So like, let's say you're going down a trail and you know, your bike is perfectly up and down. Um, the amount of force that it will take for you to break that gyroscoping effect of the, of the crank. Um, you know, the initial input is a rider that you have to put into the bike. So, you know, waiting to, if you're making a right hand corner, right? Like you're going to wait the right peg. You're going to, you know, push on the right handlebar and kind of get that initial movement going. That's really where you're going to see it. Um, you know, repetitive chop, you'll see it there. Um, it, I mean, you'll see it everywhere and it, it's, it's substantial. So I've ridden, you know, a handful of the, the Rottweiler 790 builds, um, you know, Wes's bike that he raced at the Sonora and, uh, you know, a couple of the best in the desert races. And, um, you know, that bike is phenomenal. I mean, absolutely phenomenal. In fact, we did, uh, Chris doesn't ever really give me much time to mm-hmm. do suspension related stuff. So it's always like, Hey, uh, it might be a Monday. And you're like, Hey, it's Monday and I need a set of suspension here, ready to bolt on a bike on Thursday. And, Oh, I want you here as well to do, you know, final testing. So, um, I got to ride the, the 790 before. So like literally, uh, you know, we overnighted some stuff in, I built it, I overnighted it to Chris and the next morning at four in the morning, I hop on a plane and I fly to Palm Springs and, you know, they meet me there and we go and test and I rode that bike and I came back and, you know, I was like, God, man, that was a really expensive ride. And Chris is like, oh crap. You know, here we go. I let Alex ride the bike and he, he takes it out and yard sales. It. I was like, no, no, dude, this bike is, this is the best bike I've ever ridden in my life. And uh, you know, Wes was able to achieve what he was able to do at, at Sonora rally on that. And, uh, you know, the bike is a phenomenal bike and not to take away from what Wes is as capable as far as a rider in any sense. He's an absolute animal, you know, animal, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, yeah, he's got that Viking DNA. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he's, he's an incredible rider and an incredible human being as well. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really, you know, it helps quite a bit. Okay, so that yeah. and it's surprising because I would have thought that I would notice that more in, or actually, almost like not noticed it, but more it's just something that I'm doing the suspension a favor by giving it less mass that it's got to move. I didn't it, think it, that it I helps. would notice it. Yeah, yeah, you will, you'll definitely notice it. And I okay. I have a client in Colorado um, that did it, and you know we he he's a very very specific writer. Um, this client and uh, one of the nicest guys in the world and super cool. And uh, you know, he, he, we keep making changes, right? Like it, it's cause his bike is, you know, it's, it started as a rally and it's, you know, ever evolved into what it is now. And, and we've had to go in and change some things and kind of complement the changes that he's made to the application. And uh, one of the biggest ones that he did was, uh, you know, removing a, a front, front rotor and he also has a 1290 super duke r and he equated removing the front rotor as strong as going to a carbon wheel set on that bike oh wow so that's substantial yeah no and i like i know rotating mass rotating mass is easy one one pound rotating is two pounds static 
Exactly. So, yeah, that's okay. So that's huge. Okay, so yep. this just turned into a more expensive podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah, and I, I was curious about it, but it's like anything else. Like, okay, cool, let's try it. But am I really going to notice a difference, you know, before we go For full sure. send? Because a lot of people, and, and we know this in adventure bike riding, and I am absolutely guilty of it, is you're like, well, they did it. Maybe I should do it. I don't know what it's going to oh, do. For sure. But, for sure. <laughs> but you he know, did I mean, it, so it, I should do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like uh, it, it's what I say is, you know, that you notice it is, you know, I mean, I notice it. Majority of my clients notice it. But there's a lot of people that are not as sensitive. And that that's kind of one of the things with suspension that's super unique is, you know, I could have like five guys. They all ride together. They all ride the same bike. They all live in the same area. And, you know, we could do a setup for them and, and such like that. And you'll literally have five different opinions on the suspension. So, like, you know, it's such a subjective nature um, to things. And, and that's, that's I think, one of the things that's led to the success of us in, the, in this segment of motorcycles is, you know, we do the – we've made the investments in the costly, you know, tooling and the data acquisition materials and, and such like that. And so, you know, it's, it takes that subjective opinion out of it to a certain degree, uh, which is, you know, one of the things that I find super valuable, but when it comes to certain things as, you know, bike setup, chassis setup and such like that, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are running out there in, that have improper setups. Um, you know, if like we go to these rallies and we go to these things and it's like, you know, you'll, you'll see a guy that's 360 pounds. That's, you know, got a hundred pounds of luggage on the back end of his bike. And he's got his wife that's, you know, 200 pounds or 150 pounds sitting on the back end of the bike. And it's like, you're riding on stock springs, you know, we're like the moto guys at, a, at the minimum, you know, moto guys, the first thing they do when they get a bike or even before they get the bike is they get the proper springs for the stuff and, you know, at least go from there. So this this segment's a little bit different. Um, the, you know, it takes a little bit more uh, on our end. It's a little bit more of an educational thing than than most. I, I could totally and to speak to that. And this is an experience that I had with you. And obviously, I'm, when it comes to anything like suspension and bike tech and stuff like that, I'm just I nerd out on. But sure. when we were at the Heron Hound, uh, it was a few months back where Wes showed up, uh, Chris and everybody to to yeah. race it. You were there, and I remember Wes came back and was like, "I just, mm, uh, you know," and yeah. he goes, "Okay," and you know, laid this thing over. You whipped out the screwdriver, you know, some clicks, some magic, some blah blah blah, and then, okay, go take it. And then he goes and wrings this thing's neck up the the start, comes back and goes, "Perfect." Yeah, that yeah. takes like to me, that's like, OK, that obviously that's somebody that knows because those clicks could go in either direction and go f to worse very quickly. You, you know, there's there's definitely a placebo <laughs> going on there. <laughs> that, 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 <laughs> I, I, I learned. Oh, this, uh, let me let me get that bleep thing going, because if Chris yeah, listens, yeah. this is <laughs> or Wes. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Uh, I mean, Wes. Wes is a super easy guy to please as far as, you know, like setup, like he's, he's such a talented rider and, you know, like he, 
Wes grew up kind of riding, you know, what he had and, you know, what was given to him and such like that. So like, you know, to, to make Wes happy, it's, it's really easy. Um, I've worked with a lot of riders where it's the exact opposite. And, you know, I've been really fortunate to work with some really talented riders and, um, you know, there's, uh, there's some bullshit aspects Mm-hmm. And then there's not. And so mm-hmm. like, you know, like when you're testing with somebody, like when I do a hands-on like test and tune day with a guy mm-hmm. um, or a team or, or whoever it may be, you know, you'll kind of get into this rhythm of like, you know, we're always looking for improvements, but you also have to find out like we make, make so many changes to a bike in uh, a, a testing day, right? Like, I mean, we may change static rider, um, fourth position, uh, so on. It, it's really easy for some people to get lost and, and kind of forget where baseline is. So, um, what I say by the placebo effect is, you know, one of the things that I do consistently, and I've learned this from other suspension tuners is, you know, if you have a test day, you've been working with the guy for two or three hours, you know, he'll come in and he's like, Hey, it's doing this. It's doing that. I think it could be improved here. We'll leave him on the bike. Make it look like you're changing some adjustments, you know, like, hey, I, you know, I may make some clickers here, click it there. Um, you know, I make I have a snap on like a rotating wrench or a screwdriver that I just recently got. I'll even stick it in there and I'll kind of make it so it makes the sounds like I'm actually changing something. Mm-hmm. I'll go, hey, go try that. And he'll, co- you know, pound out two or three laps and he'll come back. and He's like, dude, you solved it. It's perfect. And, then, you know, in reality, yeah. we use that as the 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 BS baseline, right. To kind of mm-hmm. always make sure of where they're at and such like that. Yeah. Well, and I could see, so that's another, uh, one lap, two lap. Okay. Three lap. Okay. Four lap. Now testing your fifth lap, unless you're upper echelon, I would think, you know, the body's a little bit more fatigue, you know, your, your oh, hands, for sure. your so for sure. it's difficult to get a clean read on like, okay, now it's doing this. Yeah. But it wasn't yeah. doing it on lap one, but now it is. It, Exactly. And that's where that's where keeping really accurate notes and, you know, filming things and such like that really come into play. Come in. So I got really a couple more, but uh, Huck Valve, where am I going to notice that? You mentioned it, but what like the Huck Valve system is a bottoming control device. So, you know, you have a few aspects within the fork that are designed to help control bottoming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oil volume with the fork or also known as air gap within the fork. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's one aspect of tuning, uh, you know, the, the high speed compression stack stack is also an, you know, an area where you keep that in play in check, um, you know, proper springs, obviously, you know, kind of baseline one one Um, but really what the huck valve is, is it's a needle and orifice. So at the end of the cartridge rod, there's actually a needle and at the top of the base valve, there is a bottoming cup. Now that bottoming cup is actually a pseudo piston. There's actually some orifices down at the very bottom of it. And below that is a shim stack. So as the fork gets to a certain position in the stroke, that needle is going to go into that bottoming cup and start creating a hydraulic lock. Or in this case, it's more of like a piston so it will push fluid to a certain degree, mm-hmm. and then it'll max out, and that's what controls your bottoming. And it's a separate tuning element that is, you know, so 
what's really neat about it is it allows us to kind of run a lighter compression stack and give you more compliance in, um, you know, the chop and such like that, but still have the bottoming resistance on the other side. Okay. And that's not found in any other fork. Okay. So that, yeah. so to me, like a, what I'm, a, what I'm picturing is down road Baja a little bit faster than I should be. And I happen to find a hole that I didn't account for. It'll just soak it up. I mean, okay. to, you know, to a, to a certain degree. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. To a certain degree. I have to be very clear on that. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause writer talent is very different here and I'm not, yes. I'm not the greatest writer, but I mean, that's, um, I think that is the, the confidence thing, right? I mean, in, in knowing, like, I would tell people that when I was at BMW, when we were talking ride modes, right? And, and compared to the 790, the BMW stuff is, is dialed into where you just set it to something and then just go. And, you, you right. know, but when you put a 790 in rally mode, now you've got slip that you can calculate the throttle modes, the, the way they react are very different. And I would always tell people, go pick the same track, go hit the same exact route, little you know two mile loop same line same Same. line same speed yeah and it's the same thing i i use that analogy with suspension setup as well okay absolutely so so you would encourage anybody like after after you get your suspension done go do that absolutely and and in in our instruction book that comes with our suspension is Mm -hmm. that that is actually said in that because you know it's uh if you're not savvy you could really quickly start chasing your tail real quick. And so, you know, it's, if you're, you're ever evolving, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that can do it. Um, there's some people that can't. And so, um, you know, if you start making significant changes, um, you know, specifically front and rear at the same time, you know, the front affects the rear, the rear affects the front. Um, you know, so if you start making all kinds of adjustments, you could, really throw the balance off of the bike really quickly. Yeah. Well, and not only what I've noticed, I guess it rings true, is like just, okay, simply with the number of clicks. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, some things it's like 45 clicks total adjustment that you can do. Mm-hmm. And sure. so, or, or more or less or whatever it is, but it seems like um, you could get lost, like you say, you could get lost pretty quickly. And then some stuff yeah. is clicks, some stuff is turns. Yeah, and yeah. that's yeah, yeah. That it gets and and how they're counted is also different. You know, like three load is counted differently than suspension clickers, and and you know people forget that. And it, it's uh, yeah, so it's it's you know the the documentation that's coming with these cartridges. You know, it's very similar to what's found on our website now, and just a little bit more uh, specific to this cartridge kit itself. But um, yeah, we encourage people to follow that process and go through it and. Uh, you know, really experiment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then that's, I guess how you're going to get to know, know the whole thing for sure. Yeah. So this is the, this is the one that I thought would, or the question that I had for you that I think would probably help a lot of people, but okay. So I'm getting ready to send my suspension to you. And there was, I've already, I think I've already asked you a couple questions about it previously for my stuff, but what is the what do you want to hear from us? You know, when when it comes to setting up the bench, what I've already done, what you know, like what are the questions? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so yeah. a lot of that, a lot of that is based off of the information that we attain via the the writer profile form on our website. So 
you know, we're offering this kit in three different configurations. So the cartridge kit is, um, you know, uh, more of like a do-it-yourself install because it's actually a relatively easy install. So if somebody's mechanically inclined, if they want to buy it from us or one of our participating viewers, there's going to be, you know, uh, we're actually filming the video uh, this upcoming weekend. Um, so, you know, there'll be instructional instructional information, a video, etc. cetera. Um, so we're going to have a uh, do-it-yourself kit that's going to include the cartridges, the proper spring rates, um, <clears throat> excuse me, cartridges, proper spring rates, SKF dual compound fork seals, uh, maximum fork fluid, um, and then motion pro tooling to install in, you know, to install that kit. Uh, the secondary way is send it in to us. We'll set that set to specifically to, you know, your specifications as far as valving, such like that. Um, and then at that time you could use the A kit upgrade, which you're doing with the DLC and the Kashima coated uppers. And then, uh, the third way that we're going to offer it is to tuners. So, you know, just raw cartridges, or not raw, but cartridges themselves, they could supply their own fork springs and such like that, mm -hmm. and then they could use our platform. Um, but for people that are going to have us tune it to their specifications, that rider profile form, which is the same thing that you filled out, um, tells us everything we need to know. Okay. And yep. so, like anything else, is it, this is not the DMV, so you don't need to lie about your height or your weight. You know, there's 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 two questions on there that are bullshit questions um, that really allow us to gauge uh, <laughs> how honest people are uh, being with us. And okay. so, so I'm not going to say which ones they are. Yeah, I was going to say, no, they, don't give it away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's there's two questions on there. And, you know, I mean, you know, there's I'm not trying to paint a bad picture of people, but, you know, like there's there's people that are you know, kind of new to the sport and they want to have a setup that they could grow into. And they think that being, you know, kind of getting to where they want to be as far as a skill set might be the better setup for them. Or we have just the guys that are, you know, the fastest guys around the campfire and such like that. And um, that's where those questions can come into play and, you know, really allow us to, to gauge, you know, how honest we are. And then, you know, if we have questions, we, you know, approach them as delicately as we can. Yeah, and I, I guess for the people that are listening, I would, and probably you as well, would encourage people to be as honest as possible with like your rider yeah. ability, what you're going to. Yeah, because I mean, that's good. Yeah, because I mean, it's uh, you know, it's it might negatively or most likely will negatively affect the suspension performance that you're going to get. Yeah, you know, if, if you know, like the setup that West requires is not the same setup that I require. Mm -hmm. which is, you know, not the same setup that you require. And so, you know, if, if I was to write a setup for Wes, like it probably be harsh and just beat the hell out of me because I'm not going anywhere near the speeds or the velocities that he's hitting, yeah. um, you know, and, and so on. And I, I feel like that is a very big point with how the bike feels. And I noticed it with adventure bike riders when it comes to picking tires, when going into Baja, everybody wanted to run those dirt tires, 50-50, super aggressive knobbies. And I'm going, wait, it's, I've been down there. It's mostly highway to where you're going. Yeah. So I feel like it's kind of the same way. It's like, oh, I'm going to be doing a lot of dirt riding and a lot and this and that and the other. And at the end of the day, it's really not. And it's really just fire roads. But then they end up with a suspension setup for what they asked for. And it's harsh. Or, yep. Yeah. Yep. Not compliant. Yep. Yeah. And, and 
somebody I think once had told me is all the the fire roads with the chatter in them are are hell on a suspension setup. Big holes aren't that oh, bad. Oh yeah, yeah. But I don't think people realize that, right? You know, you know. I mean, it's it's you know, it's like a, a really good way that we're able to gauge. Um, well, this could be this could go two ways. So if a rider services his suspension regularly. Mm-hmm. We could very easily tell the caliber of rider that he is. So um, we have a we have a rider here in Texas that does the Texas Enduro uh, Championship Series. Uh, Ryan Grantham. He is uh, he overalls. You know he he beats Cole Kirkpatrick and uh, you know Russell Bobbitt, and it's super super fast guy. He destroys his fork fluid and his bushings in five hours of ride time. Five hours, five hours. This stuff is roached. I mean, like yeah. milky, and I mean, bushings are just shot, and and everything in between. Um, and in fact, I gave him Kashima and DLC uppers um, in a Kashima and DLC coated shock shaft just to help extend some of his fluid life because mm-hmm. um, he he just moved up to New Mexico. He got a new job, and um, you know the service intervals are going to be a little bit longer, so. Uh, just to help save him some funds and time without his suspension, we upgraded him. But, yeah. you know, we have guys that can destroy, you know, I mean, guys like Skyler and Ricky and Andrew Short and those guys. I mean, they're just destroying their stuff. Like, I mean, you know, they're the the immortals of the, the motorcycle world. You know, these these guys are uh, they're they're so fast and they're so, you know, I mean, while they're super smooth, they're just, you know, they're utilizing their components in the way that they're designed to be. And um then we have, you know, the, the that's the one thing that's a little bit different in the adventure segment is, you know, you have guys that are new to the sport that, you know, take some training or go out and, you know, they ride with some other guys with similar skill sets. And, you know, they they might think that they're, you know, a, an intermediate or expert level rider. And then, you know, you work with a guy like Wes or, I mean, his dad, Daryl, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Daryl's a savage human being. I mean, he's the nicest guy in the world and a teddy bear, but, you know, he's a gruff dude and he rides a motorcycle like an absolute wild man. And, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the spread between those guys and, you know, um, so servicing your suspension regularly is, is important. Um, I completely went on a, a way side tangent, so I do apologize. No. But, uh, you know, Suspension, the fluid can get distorted really quickly, really, uh, really fast. Um, depending on the application that you're on, like Honda Africa Twins, like those, those, the, the stock suspension is so antiquated and the quality of the components is not the best. And the fluids that they're using is really not that great. So that fluid gets distorted within the first like 10, 15 hours of ride time. And then you have a guy that might ride 10,000, 15,000 miles on that bike and then have his suspension serviced. And I mean, you know, it's, it's like once a day, Jerry's in the back and he'll open up a set. And yeah, I mean, like, you know, all the windows get open, the door goes open. Cause I mean, the oh. fluid might, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, that's Toast. on a daily basis, it's yeah. just roached and it smells like, uh, yeah. you know, Japanese suspension fluid smells like, uh, rotten fish when it gets uh when it gets roached real yeah. quick so yeah it sounds like gear oil to me yeah exactly burnt, burnt yeah. gear oil yep. yeah it, it it has a certain you know journal yeah, on the nostrils yeah you don't forget it that's for sure <laughs> no. <laughs> so and and that was actually some too because even on the i remember you told me when i sent my uh forks in for the 850 when i first got the yep. 850 gs we were looking to see yep. what we could do with it and you said how many miles are on this yep. I, I think i had like 
2,000 miles on it, and it, you said it looked pretty bad. So Yeah, and that's just, you know, the initial break-in and then, um, you know, the, the quality of materials. And, and, you know, in this segment of motorcycles, uh, you know, most manufacturers are cutting corners on, you know, components and the you know they're making things as least inexpensive as they can and you know ktm did that for a brief period of time and they're they're back to utilizing you know at least decent materials and decent mm-hmm. decent components but you know and like let's say uh 2013 through 18 690 enduro and uh 13 through 18 um uh, uh 1190r like mm-hmm. i mean I broke three frames on an 1190 riding it. And, you know, like there's all kinds of suspension related issues that were caused by that. And KTM learned and they are going in the proper direction, thankfully. And, uh, you know, making some high quality components, but not all the manufacturers are like that. Yeah. No. And, and like, I mean, it's, uh, when they got to crank out, you know, 50 sets of forks in an hour, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it, I learned this recently too. I guess it's some, uh, I guess everybody's all manufacturers are guilty of this, but fork fluid is height is very important and is actually, oh, yeah. a, is actually a tuning aspect. Absolutely. Yeah. But I've also and learned recently that I guess they're inconsistent too. Oh, absolutely. And, okay. and you know, that just varies um, during the assembly process is uh, you know, there's a bleeding procedure and it varies you know, some are done off volume, so depending on the the style of fork, um, you know, like a 4CS fork, uh, the 4CS fork, which is kind of like the worst fork that WP ever made, um, you know, like you would put 500 cc's in the bottom of the fork, you'd put the base valve in, you'd pour 200 cc's up on top, you'd put the fork cap on, you'd pressurize it to 165 PSI, take the fork cap back off, set the oil level height. And such like that. And so some forks have like pretty intricate bleeding procedures. Um, mm-hmm. Some don't. But, you know, if you're if you're producing, you know, a thousand sets of suspension a day or, you know, whatever these manufacturers are, there's there's a term that we use uh, in the shop is uh, factory loose. So, mm-hmm. you know, like it's pretty common to open a set of suspension and, uh, you know, there might be some things loose there might be some things that are folding around in your suspension um you know like it's it's even on some of the pro components like uh you know when the rallies first started coming out um you know we got off we had like six or seven sets of you know 790 rally suspension in the shop at at one time like they all kind of came in at once and every single one of them was mismanufactured or misassembled and so you know factory loose is what we call it (laughs) My my brother works at a bike shop, and he told me about the carbon torque spec, uh, which is uh, tight until you hear the crack, and then back it off a quarter turn. Yeah, carbon. I don't know. So, so it yeah. sounds like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah we we have uh, we have some pretty high end. Uh, put it this way: our Snap On guy buys us lunch every Wednesday. We got a we, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we we spend some money on uh, on, on some equipment and on and tooling and uh, you know being able to to confidently and the torque wrenches that we have are are all you know they they keep a data data log and and all of that so you know those are things that we audit and just make sure that the guys in the back are are on point nice well well then again there's a there's a reason why you're you're at where you're at now and it's because of all of that kind of stuff so oh yeah yeah no it's yeah yeah, consistency and, and stuff like that is uh you know it's key yeah absolutely so 
So what I just learned is that when you do a 600-mile service on an adventure bike, you should probably maybe look at doing the fork fluid as well. You know, possibly. Uh, you know, I mean, there's it's dependent on the forks, but, you know, there's a lot of materials moving. There's a lot of metal on metal. And, you know, that initial break-in, just like in your engine, it's going to slough some material, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you change your oil the first time. I mean, there's there's pieces of metal in there. And, uh, you know, like most of my KTMs always shed a little bit of material. It's just kind of what they are. And, you know, your suspension is doing the same thing. Yeah. And, and yeah. I don't know why people would think that it wouldn't do that. You know, well, suspension is like the most neglected, <laughs> neglected thing on motorcycles. It really is. You yeah. know, I mean, there, when we were up in, in Washington state, like there was, there was a time, but I mean, just the shop was, you know, like every day the bikes are getting in and out, in and out. And, uh, you know, I, I sat there one night and I'm looking at all these bikes and I'm like, you know, kind of just looking bikes over and I'm like, dude, there's like $700,000 worth of motorcycles sitting in the shop right now with the way these bikes are equipped. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of them had everything done to them and the last thing they were doing was suspension and then you know once they do that the very next bike they get it's always they do suspension first and then do the rest of the crap later yeah i yeah. <laughs> i i came across a few of those it's like where they didn't miss a page in the of the catalog, in, in, of, yeah. The catalog. Yeah, yeah. of the catalog not one yeah for, yeah. for sure, for sure. <laughs> not a single page was missed in the making of this bike and, yep, absolutely. And, and yeah, and I have, you know, and, and I told you, this for me personally, as much as I know how big a deal suspension is, this is the first time I'm actually said, OK, I'm going to invest the money on making a bike that has the perfect suspension. Even well, we I, tried it on your 850. We just couldn't do anything. It, it for just that couldn't bike. be done. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, couldn't and, be done. You know, there's, now there's cartridge kits coming forward and all sorts yep. of stuff going on. And yeah, it, it cool, you know, it, but it. That is definitely still a different bike. I mean, now now having both, like literally, I could ride either one tomorrow. Um, where initially I thought the 850 was like, hey, this is you know, okay, yeah, I like this thing off road. It's got the right weight, feels pretty good. But then you jump on the KTM and going, no, that's not true. <laughs> you know, the the I I get to ride every bike out there. That's you know one of the perks of the job. And you know, the 790 is is the first KTM that I've ever ridden that I just didn't jive with immediately. It took me like 300 miles to really jive with that bike. And then, you know, we, we set the ergos, we did the seat, we did, you know, mm-hmm. did all the stuff that I need to do. And, you know, that bike is just so much fun. I mean, it's, you know, rarely do I get to ride where it's not business related, right? Like I'm always testing or trying something or, you know, whatever it may be. And, uh, we did a ride um, at a junction, uh, which is like two hours away from the shop, and it's still in hill country. And the most beautiful spring-fed spring creeks I've ever seen, the bluest water I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was like, you know, like just jaw-dropping. And, uh, you know, we did this like 280-something mile ride out of there, and uh, I... I still get a grin on my face because I had a smile on my face the entire day of, you know, and that 790 is, you know, it, I didn't jive with it at first because I thought it was underpowered. I thought it was super compact and, you know, like a smaller chassis. And, mm-hmm. you know, it took me a while to kind of jive with it, but man, that bike is so much fun. So much fun. <sighs> this is really turning into an expensive pot. I got a feeling in two weeks, I'm not going to be just doing suspension. I might be looking for somewhere to live. <laughs> nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh no, yeah, you, yeah. Well, we've been talking about that. You need to come out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Austin's. I mean, it's different, you know. There's pros and cons for sure, but yeah, uh, 
Yeah, there's uh, there's there's a lot of cool things about Texas and uh, the terrain, the people, the food. Uh, you know, I mean, everything and anything is it's different, right? Like it, it's different, and if it jives with you, cool. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But uh, it's it's a lot of fun for sure. Living out here has been really good for us. Nice. So it it sounds yeah. like it was the like I said it was it was the right move. Like oh for sure you would sure. you would have hindsight Texas probably would have been the first choice then now now knowing what you know. You know, I think I think it was I think living in the Pacific Northwest was instrumental in the success that we've seen. Okay. So I, I think I think it was definitely the 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 right move. Um, but it's living here now is definitely perfect for us for sure. Nice. Yeah, yeah. and and your boss was actually at our ranch. Oh, really? Yeah, he's uh, he was looking at uh, purchasing it. <laughs> yeah. Wait, no. <laughs> yeah. Don't. Not my, no, no, it's not. Now, let me rephrase this. Like, mm-hmm. here in Texas, we have these things called land leases. So, mm-hmm. like, I have access to do whatever I want to this property. I wish it was mine, mm-hmm. but uh, I do not own the ranch. And uh, uh, I guess Elon was out there at some point um, inquiring about it. Taking a look. Ah, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> so, well, I at least that's the, that's the rumor I've been told. <laughs> well, I don't You know, it's funny. I, I now... Uh, without divulging too much but yeah the boss um i get a lot of people that ask me like oh i heard he's doing this and that and you know what it's uh he's a fan of stuff that's like uh decentralized so we don't even find out a lot of stuff that's going on and then all of a sudden you know we know about it sure you know right when the public finds out which is kind of cool and it's kind of nice to see a company that as big as it is it's very agile for sure for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, being the richest man in the world it allows you to do things that, uh, yeah, that a lot are of not possible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not possible. Well, today, let's see. We're moving to Texas. Sell everything in, yeah. in California. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Enjoy. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Nice. Well, this is. Uh, I definitely am excited to be out there in a few weeks uh, and and get a shop tour, take a look around, and and then just kind of see how all of this stuff goes together. Like I said, I'm, I'm total nerd on this stuff. Uh, but I do not understand motorcycle suspension. A car, I could tell you compression rebound, and yeah, but not. It's on this the same thing. thing, just done a little bit differently. So we'll we'll get you up to par real quick. Yeah, so yeah, that'll be that'll be awesome. And then, uh, is this something? So you mentioned about test and tune and stuff like that. Do you ever do you ever get a get a group guys and and or people that are all interested? the time? Okay, and all the time you'll yeah. come out. You know, you can come out or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That'd be really yep. cool to Absolutely. put put something together. Yeah, we got a we got a we got a snap on travel to- toolbox that I take, and I hop on a plane, and it's got everything I need. And uh, you know, we we go to. I mean, I've been able to travel the country doing that, so nice. it's it's pretty neat. Nice. Well, yeah. If that's ever, um, you know, if you ever put a calendar together for that or anything like that, I would sure. love to love to relay that information because that's, um, it's it's probably one of the least like you said is one of the most neglected components on the motorcycle but yep. yet it affects how far you can ride in a day and 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 then safety wise too for sure fatigue yeah. safety i mean you know everything yeah and it's you know it's uh i i did it once and i asked you right away and you told me oh yeah just take a ton of rebound speed the rebound up on the bike a lot but fire roads that are chattery can be a handful on a big bike Oh yeah, you'll end out oh, yeah. outside of the corner very quickly because you have zero traction. The tire is yeah, not I on did, the ground. 
I did that on our 790. Um, it was related to the, the brake issues, but I literally went into a corner at like 70 miles an hour, and I was Fred Flintstoning it, dragging my feet, trying to slow down, going into a corner. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. So how was your life in those 10 seconds? <laughs> you, know, you reviewed you, the you, whole you, thing? You know, you get kind of used to doing that. You know, us bigger guys on these small bikes, you know, you got to put the cooler and you got to run the – uh, I've re- learned that the brake tech uh, uh, piston calipers cool quite a bit and help a lot. So I've, uh, you know, us bigger guys, you got to set up a bike appropriately. At times. <laughs> well, yeah, but we do, yeah. we do have the advantage. We do get more weight on the ground when it comes to traction. That's for sure. So. Yeah. You know, like I, I can go through the rocks faster than most. That's yeah. for sure. Yep. I've uh, yep. recently, was I won a bet that way at a, a local, you know, grassroots uh, motocross type event. I, I put money on the big guy and nobody believed me. And I'm going, he'll be the first to the corner. And no, for sure. Sure as shit. For sure. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, well, awesome. Awesome, dude. I really appreciate well, hey, taking the time. Yeah, man. likewise. Likewise. I, this was fun. I, catching up is always fun. And uh, yeah. yeah, we'll so, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Yeah, I'll be out there in a couple weeks and... Uh, you know, get some beers or excuse me, adult beverages. Uh, there you go. Yeah. In moderate yeah. amount. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Sweet. All right. All right. Alex. Well, thank you so thank much. Thank you very much. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Bye, Chris. All bye. Right. Say bye. All right. So that was awesome. I learned a lot, man. Hour 45 minutes almost in the episode. So little bit of issues uh, early on. Still getting used to the new equipment, but I hope everybody enjoyed the the sound, uh, I think that this is a lot better quality now. We're able to bring more people on and, and get it a little bit clearer across. Uh, so I am absolutely excited. I'm going to Texas in a couple of weeks uh, to get the suspension worked on on my bike. Uh, like I said, if uh, you guys see me on the news, it's because I walked into an airport with a case that looks like it was holding something else. But I promise there's suspension inside. So this is my declaration before I fly, just in case we need it for evidence later. But in the end... Uh, I've now in talking to Alex and working on all this stuff. And I think he's correct. I've set up a lot of bikes and built a lot of bikes, but always the suspension has been the last thing to do, but without realizing how big of a deal it is, uh, for motorcycles and for your enjoyment. Uh, first bike I ever rode was actually a KX. That was a KX 250 setup by precision concepts. Nowhere sprung for me or anything, but you could literally tell the bike had valving work and there was some magic inside those. So ever since then, I've been chasing it. I just never dedicated it to saying, okay, that's it. I'm going to do it like this time before the 790. So again, I'm super looking forward to it. I'm going to learn a lot. This thing is absolutely crazy uh, what Alex has designed uh, and worked with on these guys to make it for him. So it is... I, I just, I'm, I'm ready. Is it two weeks now? So with that being said, episode number 12 of the Chasing Waypoints podcast, I'm going to post this up on Facebook. If you're not following us on Facebook, jump up on Facebook, like the Chasing Waypoints uh, Facebook page. You'll see it there. Drop a comment below. If you've got questions, we'll tag Alex in it. I'm sure he'll help us out with answering any of the questions that we may have uh, about it. Follow us on Instagram as well, Chasing Waypoints underscore official. Also on YouTube, you'll find us under Chasing Waypoints. And if you like the podcast, you like what you heard, uh, give us a like, a follow, or maybe even share it. And that is going to be the episode for this. We will see you guys next Sunday.